Women on the Rise is supported by The Riveter, a modern union for working women, offering content, community, and co-working spaces, all designed with a focus on women and work. I've been a member of The Riveter since nearly the beginning and have proudly watched them expand from Seattle to cities around the country. You might even remember that their CEO and founder, Amy Nelson, was my very first guest on this podcast. Countless collaborations and friendships have come from my kitchen conversations and post-event chats with my fellow Riveters, both women and men. The Riveter believes that equity and opportunity should be a reality, not a promise. Visit www.theriveter.co to learn more. And by Armoire. Do you love variety but hate the clutter and expense of new clothes? That is totally me. So I just signed up for Armoire, a clothing rental service for today's boss lady. Armoire gives me access to designer clothes I can exchange on my schedule for a flat monthly fee. I get access to a guilt-free flow of new clothes without the hassle of shopping or dry cleaning. You can ask anyone. I hate shopping. Women on the Rise listeners can try Armoire today for $100 off your first month using code WOTR100. That's WOTR100. Visit www.armoire.style to get started. When I think about Nourish in the beginning of it, I was really thinking about what are some of the really essential moments that we share that can help us acknowledge the humanity in other people. And it's food. How a dinner table is really this really perfect space to challenge people, to be really brave, and to give people an opportunity to also feel literally nourished by the food that they're consuming. Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive coach and lifestyle expert, Lara Dolch. And each week, I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. Hey, podcast listeners. Welcome to the final episode of season six of Women on the Rise. It's a good one. And it rounds out this season's focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion with an especially unique way of approaching the often uncomfortable conversations about cultivating cultures in which everyone belongs. Before I tell you about this week's guest, though, I need your help with something. With about six weeks left in 2019, I still need about 15 more ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts to reach my goal of 75 five-star reviews for the podcast. Thank you so much to those of you who've taken the time to rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a huge help to the show, and I'm so grateful for your support. If you love the podcast but have not had a chance to rate or review it, I totally get it. Life is busy. Please hit pause now and take a minute to do that. This may be the last reminder you'll get from me this year since this is the last new episode until January. The more reviews we have, the more women will find the podcast and join us in this really important conversation about self-care and success. The five minutes you take now to rate or review the show is guaranteed to inspire and uplift more women in the future. Women supporting women is such an amazing thing, and it's so needed right now. It's what this podcast is really all about. Please do your part to help create that ripple effect. Your voice really does matter. Share it now by rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen. And thanks. 
My favorite way to explore different cultures is through food. Probably not a huge surprise. It's the primary reason that I travel for leisure, to taste local dishes in the places they were created. Food makes me feel more connected to a culture, its people, and its history in a way nothing else really does. And it reminds me of our shared humanity. What's more central to being human than eating, right? Michaela Ayers couldn't agree with me more, and she's taken it one step further, or closer, depending on the way you look at it, by building a social impact organization that helps people connect with each other over the dinner table, creating a safe space for brave conversations about cultivating more inclusive cultures. We talked about how the 2016 presidential election prompted Michaela to start her company called Nourish and how Nourish evolved from a community activism project into a business, the value of storytelling in building meaningful connections between strangers, why Michaela believes that the dinner table is the perfect place to challenge people to be brave about difficult topics, and how Michaela's journey of personal growth and research into racial inequity highlighted the importance of self-care in her own life and prompted her to begin a self-care practice. Quick side note, but a relevant one. I was in Denver on business recently, and I ended up with an Uber driver who was at least 15, maybe 20 years younger than me, black, and who turns out grew up not far from me in Virginia. Despite our different ages, races, and socioeconomic backgrounds, we uncovered more commonalities than differences as we chatted. Our love of Southern food, our drive to set out on our own as adults, our desire to live in and experience other places. The list goes on. It was one of those great life-giving serendipitous conversations with a stranger. As we approached my destination, he said, how funny, we're all more connected than not, aren't we? To which I responded, yep, and if more people would remember that, we'd live in a happier world. To me, that insight is at the heart of Michaela's work, helping strangers connect over our commonalities so that we can more compassionately and effectively navigate our differences. Enjoy my conversation with Michaela. Michaela, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. Well, and I love the way that we met. I was at a pitch event for entrepreneurs and uh, to support a friend of mine. And um, Michaela was one of the entrepreneurs. And I was so enchanted with your business for a couple of reasons. I think <laughs> to a large degree, as I said to you when I introduced myself, like I love food. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. So that was part of it. And I, it's such an interesting approach to helping people have conversations around diversity and inclusion. So why don't we start with sort of the evolution of Nourish as a business? You know, when did you first understand that it could be, you know, a thing? Absolutely. Well, the evolution of Nourish has been an incredible journey. It started out as really like a community activism project, I would say, after the 2016 election. I think that was a kind of a collective moment for all of us to realize that, you know, there are things in our society that we weren't, we weren't really reckoning with. And there was a lot of fear around having conversations. And so I took that as a call to action and started doing these dinners, you know, in my home and in other people's homes, trying to understand the language that people needed to have conversations across difference. And in having those conversations and doing those experiments in the community, you know, there was just so much need happening in terms of leaders really needing to be in those types of conversations. And, you know, at the same time, I was working at an organization leading their 
employee resource group, their ERG for diversity and inclusion, and I was running their training project. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I was always thinking about Nourish serving organizations and specifically serving leaders, um, wanting to create a space for them to step into an experience that is really relational and then also experiential. So it was probably in early April of this year that I decided to take the leap and really see how can I bring this product to the market for people and organizations that are making decisions, want to feel empowered around creating an inclusive workforce, but still don't have the language to talk about race successfully and still feel a little bit of anxiety when it comes to interacting across those types of racial equity conversations. And so that was the evolution of it turning into a like a solidified business, knowing that, you know, going out and doing market research, really doing research around what type of facilitation is happening now, um, what are the experiences or training that's happening across the racial equity workspace, um, and seeing a need in terms of having it be a really grounded human experience, not a training where you sit in a conference room for three hours and it's super easy to tune out. So really seeing the need for it to be something that people will not forget, you know, that memory of a meal that really meant something to them. And so that's what has pushed me to this point where I am now. Yeah, I love it. It actually reminds me, I don't know why I didn't make this connection before, but my friend Jacquette Timmons, um, and I'm going to forget the name of her business, which is terrible, but she does dinners in New York mostly because that's where she lives around, she's focusing on financial conversations and financial education, mm. you know, but it's a, it's how that type of conversation is uncomfortable in, in a similar way mm-hmm. about races, yeah. right? No one's talking about money. <laughs> um, right, no one. It's a very vulnerable place. So I think, you know, I I love that you have brought it down to a more human level is kind of the way that I see it. And I, I since I haven't been to one of your dinners that I really want to come to one at some point, can you talk about sort of the feedback that you hear from the people who participate and what's different about their experience having these conversations in that framework? You know, the feedback that I hear is, really giving people an opportunity to tell their stories and that gratitude of you helped me do something that was really hard for me to do, that I've had a lot of fear around expressing my story of race and racism and how it's impacted me. And so, you know, that feels like such a blessing because, you know, I put a lot of intention into creating safety and trust and to nourish. And so a lot of the feedback that I get is, feeling safe and feeling seen, feeling willing to be vulnerable in a space where you don't know the people who are coming. So these are strangers. And, you know, I really, there's, there's so much value in storytelling. And so that just keeps being affirmed to me throughout the dinner. And in terms of, you know, how the dinner is facilitated, it is really about trying to build these really meaningful connections between people. So designing interactions where people can connect on things that are, you know, deeper than the kind of surface level things that we talk about. Like, what do you do? Really getting into the root of why are you here? What are you wanting to get out of this conversation? Who in your life do you want to have this conversation with? And so really giving people an opportunity and a platform to change. And that is what I think sets this my particular experience apart from a lot of like traditional diversity and inclusion training. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you um, have been doing this long enough to be able to answer this question, but in terms of how people carry the experience into their lives afterwards, have you, have you noticed anything or have you heard anything about that? You know, that's something that I am 
actively trying to keep track of, you know, in terms of how, you know, six months later, what's going on or, you know, how is it changing your relationships? That is something that I am trying to track with data. I don't have enough data yet to have a really firm foundation on that, but that's definitely something that I'm thinking about, especially when it comes to people who are in those leadership positions. Again, like how is this helping you when it comes to retaining and attracting teams that are diverse? Um, How is it helping you, you know, build confidence and telling your story around diversity and inclusion? So those are definitely like short-term goals that I'm working towards right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is a little bit early to know that yet, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over time. You know, going back to the food thing, because I'm really, I'm just curious because I have always loved exploring different cultures via food. It's, it's honestly like the primary reason that I travel. It's all about the food. I, I, choose travel destinations based on on the mm-hmm. culture was was a love of food and sort of its its window into culture part of the equation for you when you were developing nourish oh big time i often describe myself as a very treat motivated person <laughs> like kind of like yourself <laughs> like i i will do anything for a snack and so a lot of my when i think about nourish in the beginning of it i was really thinking about you know what are some of the really essential moments that we share that can help us acknowledge the humanity in other people. And it's food, you know, that's something that everyone has. And like that same desire to go different places and try food in other countries or cities. And, you know, in my own, you know, family background, so much of my earliest memories are sitting around the dinner table with my family. And that's where we really had an opportunity to connect. And also, you know, having that, that generational pass down of recipes and like those connections really solidify parts of who we are. And I was also thinking about, to take it even deeper, you know, thinking about how our brains, you know, the smell of food also conjures up memories of when we felt safe and loved. And so I was just thinking about all of those, how, how a dinner table is really this really perfect space to challenge people, to be really brave, and to give people an opportunity to also feel literally nourished by the food that they're consuming. And so that background in my own kind of family history is what I think it brings the food element into the dinner as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. One of my other guests for this season um, works in the field of neuropsychology. And you know, we were talking about how you know, that sort of comfort that you're talking about that that happens when people sit down at a meal together and the food and the, you know, my guess is that that, you know, there's some neuroscience behind allowing more vulnerable conversations because our our brains, you know, shut down when we feel threatened. And so if you can create that environment of not feeling threatened, you know, the conversations I imagine are much more productive and, I love that. I have chills just thinking about like just the idea of the, the the levels of nourishment sort of, you know, there are many levels that you're talking about. And I just, I think yeah. it's super cool and I cannot wait to come to a dinner. Anyway, that aside, yeah. my, my obsession yeah. with food and meals. And oh, and the other thing I'll say, and I, I wonder, you know, I do think sitting down at a meal together is a, a thing that's disappearing in our culture. Yeah, us. me too. I agree. I feel like there's this, you know, this busy culture where you have to be on the move all the time. And that means you're sacrificing moments like that. And I I think that that's part of being a human that I hope we can preserve. (laughs) Like, and, and it's a tradition that is so beautiful. And like, when I go other places and get to travel, I, I feel like, 
you know, they have an opportunity like in Japan or, or maybe you're in Paris, like food and dining has a much more sacred space in the culture. And like, I just want to try to reclaim some of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so, you know, as, as someone who helps women on sort of mind body health as part of my executive coaching, it's so, it's a big piece of what I try to help women do is to slow down and to really be with their food in that way. And I think that, um, you know, aside from the sort of cultural significance of that, there's also like very physical health, you know, reasons to to do it. So it all, um, supports, you know, each other. But, you know, I want to take a quick step back and talk about, you know, how, how you might explain sort of this broad idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion to someone who's never heard that concept, because it occurs to me that maybe not everyone has. Absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion, it's so much in the ether, but it is super easy to not know what those words mean. And, you know, I'll start with diversity. I feel like you know, what is happening now is we use diversity as a proxy for um, people who are not white. Um, But in reality, diversity just means like human spectrum of people is diverse. And a company or any type of community or organization should be full of different types of people. Um, We should be taking steps away from homogenous teams um, because we know diverse teams perform better. So making steps towards people who are different um, and interacting with people who have different backgrounds because we know those teams perform better. Equity, of course, is thinking about things like structurally that need to be addressed in order for diversity to be achieved. So things that are inequitable would be things like education, housing, you know, the things that have been going on in our country for a long time um, and addressing those systemic needs um, in order for equality to happen, equity really needs to be in the forefront. And that would be, you know, giving people what they need based off of their background. So really being mindful of people, where people are coming from um, in order to create the best systems for them. And inclusion, you know, I think inclusion is definitely a word that I always ask people too, like, what do you think that means? You know, I think in the most simple format, I think of inclusion as just genuinely including people. Um, making sure that everyone gets the same invitation to the party, making sure that everyone feels welcomed and really seen as their authentic selves, whether that be at work or in their community. Um, Inclusion is a practice because, of course, you know, there are things in our society that have been designed to keep us apart and have been designed to exclude people. And so inclusion is really actively practicing seeing those barriers and then going about dismantling them so everybody can truly feel belonging. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for breaking that down. That was super helpful for me as well. Just thinking about, I especially like the the distinction that you made and correct me if I didn't quite hear this right, but just that equity is sort of the structural things that need to be addressed for diversity to happen. At least that's, I think what you right. said. Um, and yeah, that's, absolutely. I like that frame. That's I, That helps me sort of, you know, not separate the two, but anyway, I, I thank you for that. Why do you think now is the right time to lean into this conversation? Because as you said, this is in the ether right now, and there are lots of reasons for that. Um, but I'm curious what your perspective is on, you know, why now is, is the right time? And also, why or is it gaining, tra- is the conversation gaining traction in a different way? You know, I think now is the right time because we're seeing in our culture a massive shift in the perception of leadership. 
it's moving from one person is the sole owner of all ideas to the need or desire for power to be spread throughout an organization or throughout a community. And seeing that a lack of representation in those positions of power and leadership have led to inequalities. And so that information or that data is just hyper visible. You know, it, you know, it's something that I think about, especially in the way that our government is running right now, that people are seeing dysfunction and fear happen in our in the largest positions of power. And so they're really turning to organizational leaders, our community leaders, to better understand and communicate how can we be better. We see these problems that are happening. We see, you know, harm happening. What can we do? What are the tools that we need to start to become inclusive? Um, Knowing that there have been so many policies, practices, uh, procedures of organizations and government that have intentionally excluded people and caused harm. And so I think that that awareness has been turned on and there's no turning it off. And so I think the traction is happening because of the hyper visibility of technology, giving us lenses to zoom in into certain populations and locations that are experiencing perhaps more harm and more trauma around equity. And so that is what I think is in the ether um, in terms of you know, diversity and inclusion coming to the forefront, having that kind of historical background to understand how have we gotten to this point, and then also understanding in order for us to evolve, we need each other. And in order for us to come together, we need to really break down all of the systems that have separated us. And so it's, I think it's this holistic desire as humans for us to be in community together and then figure out a way for us to continue to evolve together into that next level of being. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels, I love, I love that perspective because it feels very much in line with kind of how I've been experiencing it just in terms of that craving for community and the recognition that we're, that we all need each other and, and that we've sort of just lost sight of that. And I think, and it reminds me of just this idea of this larger idea of fostering a culture of belonging. Can you talk about what that means to you? What does true belonging mean to you? And maybe how we can all contribute to a sense of belonging in our work and day-to-day lives? Sure, absolutely. So a culture of belonging to me means spaces and places where that have been designed for the people who come into them. Um, And so thinking or being really intentional around centering people who have traditionally not been centered You know, if we think about, you know, the traditional bell curve, that's what the majority of spaces have been designed for. People who fall into the majority take up the most space. And so to me, a culture of belonging is really starting to design experiences and spaces for people who fall on that margin. Because once you include them into the circle, of course, by default, that means more people are fitting in and more people are experiencing belonging. And so I think that is the lens I look at most things through, you know, as a Black woman and a Black feminist, it's really something that I, that ethos is super central to how I show up in the world. And so that's what culture of belonging means to me. And then the other part of your question was, how, how do we create belonging? I'm sorry, Laura, could you repeat yeah. that for me? No, no worries. How, yeah, how can we sort of in our day-to-day lives sort of start to chip away at that and, and create that sense of belonging? Absolutely. So I guess the very first thing I would say is just start noticing. Like the first thing is to notice. Of course, um, I'm going to speak about, you know, what an individual can do in their own lives, because I think that's where we have the most power and control. 
Um, and so if you are interested in cultivating a culture of belonging within your own personal culture, I think it comes first with noticing, like, who are you centering right now? Who is missing? So if you are like primarily socializing in homogenous groups, maybe it's time to start noticing that and wondering how can I be a little bit more inclusive? How can I push myself to a learning edge where I am including people who are different than me? Um, I can learn so much from somebody who has had a different life experience. How can I put myself in a situation where I can learn and build my empathy skills with them? So that means, of course, going out to community events, getting involved um, with people um, on that superhuman level. And then I think that kind of energy is really contagious. And that desire for belonging, whether that is in your community or whether that's at school or at work, it just kind of continues to evolve with that person. And I think that that kind of snowball effect is what I have seen in my personal practice really be powerful in transforming how I show up to create that culture of belonging. Yeah. Well, and I'm also noticing, you know, in my own experience that, you know, I guess this is probably the case with anything, but the more that I have conversations like this, the more comfortable I am having those conversations. Right. So it, right, it, yeah. it snowball. And I think um, it's, it's, it can be uncomfortable to start reaching out, but I, I think that's really good yeah. advice. Um, well, I think of it too, like a muscle, you know, it's like anything else that you're practicing. It's a language that you're learning. So it's like, you don't show up to French class and expect to learn it after a day. You have to keep doing it. It's a practice. And I try to coach people on that a lot because there's this idea that you have to say it right and it has to be perfect. Yeah. Um, but we all know perfection is not real. And that that's what keeps us from actually achieving what we want to. So trying to get into it a habit of putting yourself into uncomfortable situations and knowing that that's really where you're growing and where you're going to start to see the growth happen. And so that discomfort is really that edge and trying to, to get people to lean into that more. Yeah. Well, and I also, you, you mentioned the the sort of perfectionism tendency that we have. And I think that, you know, that at least, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of people comes from that fear of saying something wrong. And so that's one of the beauty, I think, of your dinners is that you're creating this safe space to, you know, maybe you do say something, you know, quote unquote wrong. Maybe you do make a mistake, but it's a safe space for that. And um, I think that's the most important thing is creating those safe spaces. Yeah. And I love that because you know, I actually call my dinners brave space because it is asking people to be brave um, and and be willing to say that wrong thing. Like say all of the things, just practice communicating. And it is about, you know, being accountable to the people around you and having them also coach you on how did that land and how did it feel? You know, it, it is just around that community of practice so much and building bravery into how we show up in those types of conversations. Yeah. You know, just as we're sort of beginning to wrap things up, I want to circle back to the whole food and nourishment piece and talk about uh, self-care a little bit as, as my listeners know, that's, that's one of my topics of interest. And I'm curious to know what self-care means to you personally. Absolutely. Well, I will say self-care is, I think, a new practice for me, like in, in going on this journey and really doing so much um, personal growth and research into um, racial equity and what that means. It has meant um, it's, it's just shown me the importance of self-care, I guess. And so self-care to me, how, that, how that's living in my life right now is mindfulness and meditation. And so 
really is spending time with myself in the mornings to think about, you know, what am I grateful for and centering gratitude into my body and how I show up. And then also, you know, getting outside, you know, it feels like such a, such a blessing to live in Seattle. It's a beautiful part of the country and, you know, it feels good to be outside. And so really trying to take advantage of the nature that we have and getting active and being in my body and, you know, being really connected to my breath and my energy, because our energy is also how we show up. And, you know, so much of my work, of course, is working with people's anxiety. And so really, really trying to teach myself how to hold that space and also be able to name, like, where is that anxiety for you? So people become more aware of how is it living in their bodies so they can be more present in those types of conversations. So I'm really like this year, one of my goals is to integrate more healing modalities into my practice like Reiki, just so I can build my toolkit of holding that space and being able to take care of my own energy um, as I walk through the world of trying to reduce acts of racism. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and I, I feel like trying to stay grounded in a situation like that is can be super challenging, which is, I imagine, where a lot of these practices are helpful. And that, that's sort of how I think of it, you know, in, in terms of grounding my own stuff so that I can hold space for other people's stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is big time. Yeah. So I'm curious, actually, as a business owner, how you've noticed these practices when you do them or don't do them, how that affects your work and your business? Oh, I, I definitely notice when I don't do them <laughs> um, in terms of, you know, taking that time, being intentional with that time in the morning. I notice how much it helps me. It helps me be clear about my purpose from the beginning of the day and meet, meet every conversation with that intention. And so, you know, really believing in that basic goodness that every person has the capacity to be good and also basic worthiness that everyone is worthy of dignity and respect. And so it is so important for me to build that intention into my day, into my body every day. And I notice in business, it just makes me feel like I'm in flow, you know, like you can just tell when things are just moving in the way that they should and it doesn't feel forceful or pushed And when I get wrapped up in my phone or emails or all of the alerts that happen, you know, as soon as you open your eyes in the morning, there are things that are kind of demanding your attention. And I notice that when I, when I succumb or, or, or give in to that temptation, I don't feel as clear in my purpose. And so that's what I notice um, as, as someone who's building that self-care practice, just how important it is um, and how I show up every day. Yeah, I love that. I can totally relate to that. I was just thinking about um, last night as I was sort of winding down for the day and getting sucked back into, you know, my freaking phone and and just, you know, mm-hmm. having to just consciously step away because your brain just starts to spin out and yeah, way to end or begin the day. <laughs> no, I agree. I'm like trying to keep my phone as far away from my bed as possible. So I won't be tempted, but it is, it is really challenging. Well, and I will say, my listeners may have heard me say this before. I have started using, just talking about the phone specifically, the, um, the screen time feature where you can set, you know, off hours, basically, like the phone automatically, you know, blocks you from using apps after a certain time that you set. I mean, you can obviously overwrite it, but it does actually, I find that it mm-hmm. does help me be like, oh, right, right. I, I, I don't want to be doing this right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. I like that. I might, I might do that today. That's a good yeah, idea. It's kind of a useful tool. Um, yeah, it's just called screen time and it's native to, to the iPhone operating system. I'm sure something similar exists on other OSs, but anyway, um, that was a, yeah. a total aside, but related to self-care. <laughs> There you go. Definitely. But thank you so much, Mikhail. Where can people connect with you and with Nourish? Absolutely. So you can connect with Nourish. Nourishevents.org is my website. Um, you can see all the events I have coming up and register for my newsletter. Um, so you can keep on top of what's coming up and where I am and who I'm talking to. Um, lots of great community events coming up. And also the dinners are on the, on the site as well. So um, nourishevents.org is the best place to keep up with me. Awesome. I will definitely be checking out dates for those and and, uh, hopefully I will see you at one very soon. I hope so too. Thanks so much. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lardalch.com slash women on the rise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lardalch.com slash podcast. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. It's a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Music